Welcome to Missing Pieces, MPE Life. I'm your host, Don Anderson. When I first found out my dad wasn't my dad, I had no word for it. Not that MPE is a word, but like I didn't know that term existed. So what I did was I Googled, found out my dad wasn't my dad. And in doing that, which I really didn't think was going to provide any answers, it did. It gave me the term MPE. Um, Through that, I was able to find many things. Um, One, and the first one, was I found MPE Stories, a podcast by Lily Wood. And also found Facebook groups. So it really opened it up learning that term. On today's episode, Four Pillars. Four women answer four questions. We hear it all, mostly unedited, without music. I mean, there's music now and there'll be music in the end, but I like the quiet spaces in the conversation. And hopefully the conversation will sound like a workshop at a retreat, like a self-help group. It'll be like nothing else anywhere. And you only hear it here on Missing Pieces in PE Life. So today, those four women are Lily Wood of MPE Stories, Eve Sturges of Everything's Relative podcast, Erin Cosentino with High Wraith Hope and Healing retreats that she does specifically for the MPE world, and she's also moderator admin on Togetherness Heals, MPE only, the Facebook group, which is my favorite group. And then last but not least, Dr. Gina Daniel wrote her dissertation about MPEs after interviewing over 50 of us. And she is also an MPE therapist and coach. I asked them four questions, and here are their answers. Number one, how has your relationship or feelings changed about your mom between discovery and now? Erin? Growing up, I craved my mother's love, attention, affection. And when my mother got angry, that love was withdrawn. That was how you knew you were in trouble with my mother. We would get the silent, treat- the silent treatment. And when everything happened with my NPE, my mother actually didn't do that for the first time. And it was, it was pretty surprising to me. But as I grew in my NPE experience and I started to be more vocal it became apparent that my mother was not going to be able to handle that well. And the old behaviors came back, the conversations stopped, and there was a period of time where we weren't speaking. And I just began to realize that if my mother and I are going to maintain a relationship long-term, that it would have to be on my terms so that I could feel free to say whatever it was that I needed to say and be okay if silence is what came. So I no longer hold back. If there's something I need to say, I say it. 
And if that's how my mother chooses to deal with the situation, then that's how she chooses to deal with the situation. But I'm no longer taking it personally. Gina? Hmm, Okay. So I think of the four of us, I'm the one with the mother who's deceased, because I think everyone else's mother is still living. Um, it's so complicated because my mom left my dad, BCF, and I when I was three. And I had very, very little contact with her over the years. Lots of promises made, not fulfilled. It was a disaster of a kind of relationship, but all I ever wanted was for her to notice me or think I was good enough to be with because I couldn't understand why she left her little girl. I just couldn't understand that. And then she died and it was very sudden and unexpected when I was 20. And then I just kind of decided, well, I'm never going to have any real peace with this, but she's gone now. It is what it is. I need to move on. And then I had children and I have daughters and that was it came up then again where I just thought, how do you leave your daughter? I, I don't I don't understand. I couldn't leave a child. I couldn't leave my child. So I couldn't understand that. And then fast forward to, wow, how many years now? Four, four years ago to learning about my NPE status. And I was so incredibly angry. And I mean, this is 28 years after she died. And I'm so mad with this dead person. And it, oh, it's awful. And then... Over time, probably it took a solid year and a half for me to let some of that go. I began to understand a lot more about why she left, why she couldn't be with my dad and I. You know, she harbored this secret and it's not okay, but it was. And I understood it now when I couldn't understand it my whole life and I, I thought it was me. Probably why I work so hard and do so much, why I'm a three on the Enneagram is because I'm always trying so hard <laughs> to like get people to say, you're doing okay. You're doing enough. You're okay. You've got this because I just feel like she never showed up for anything. Um, anyway, I have come around now to understand her in so many ways that I, I couldn't have without this experience happening. And while in my situation, I'm grateful this happened. It was not easy, but I'm so glad that I understand the circumstances now and that I'm not that six, seven, 10, 12, 16 year old girl wondering why my mother didn't want me. I get it now. And so last year I got a tattoo on my ankle of her handwriting that says love. Um, I had to search the eight letters that I have of her, the only communication I've ever had with her over the years and find one that had her signature. And so I put that on my ankle so I could remember that I think she did everything she did with some semblance of love for me, as hard as that was to understand until now. Lily? Oh, this is my emotional one. I'll take it, but I have to preface it. Or starting out strong, Don, going right into the mom question. (laughs) (laughs) These are the hard ones for me. Um, Just because I, it's ingrained in me how I was raised to be loyal to my mom, to only speak about the good things about her. Um, We were a family that swept things under the rug. And to talk about the truth about how she really makes me feel is just like my heart beats so fast because I'm, you know, she doesn't make me feel good (laughs) talking about her. Um, 
I was largely ignored as a child by her. I was probably considered the golden child. Um, I was a good girl. I stayed out of her way. I practiced my piano. I was really good at school. I did everything I did. I did well, right? And that, and she liked that. She got her bits and pieces that she could share with my grandma, share with her friends. And so I was like, okay, this is how I get my love, being good. Um, so she never really knew me. She never really knew the authentic me because I just learned to filter what she wanted to hear when she would connect with me. Um, oh, that's so sad because even just thinking about the few times I saw her at barbecues or Christmas, I was just like this good version of me, this helper, pouring coffee, helping her with dishes. Um, it was a really challenging relationship. I would always feel bad after leaving her house or spending time with her, unless she happened to approve of whatever I was doing in my life with my career, my relationships. Then I felt good. Check. Okay, good. She's happy with me. After finding out about my NPE, I tried one more time. We met in person. I had my list of things I wanted to talk to her about. And immediately she said to me, she interrupted me and she said, I'm not hearing I feel statements. I'm not, I'm not immediately. She's interrupting me even on the way I'm trying to communicate with her. And that's when I realized I'm done trying. I'm done. I can release this relationship. We've been estranged for three years, no contact. And although it's painful at times, I, I have more peace now. I mean, still talking about her, I'm just, ooh, makes me nervous. But I, my relationship with her right now is nothing, and that's what it's going to be, I think. I'm always welcome to, if she wants to work on herself before she contacts me, if she wants to work on her own communication, her own empathy, I'm welcome to have her back in my life. But right now, I, I have no relationship with my mother. E. I'm here. Uh, I'm here. I felt like that was very eloquent from everybody, and I'm wondering if they got the questions ahead of time. Because um, <laughs> I, I feel like I'm going to be a bumbling, stumbling mess about this. My mom has always had the best intentions, and care is her driving force. However, um, Getting her and my dad's approval was was the ultimate strive as a kid. And still to this day, I struggle constantly with wanting their approval. Um, wanting, and so the struggle now, because I'm an adult, is that I don't have to perform and, and call them all the time <laughs> like about like what I have done or haven't done. Um, but when... Uh, I have made my mom happy or proud is like the ultimate for me. Um, however, uh, growing up, she was not very warm and uh, that was always really hard for me. And she was strict and uh, conservative, not necessarily politically and Friends growing up and people as an adult have said they're scared of her or 
various versions of that where they wouldn't want to be in trouble with her or things like that. And that's always been really hard for me. Um, and we had a really – this. I'm sorry. This is going to be long. I'm sorry, Don. <laughs> you probably was like – I'm like, I don't know how to get to the answer of the question. Um, so, so – and I think part of it has to do with a, growing up in a very chaotic home and lots of things my mother notwithstanding were very difficult. All I wanted was to be uh, accepted and liked and have friends and go to people's houses and approval of adults was so important. And, um, she didn't care about any of that. She still doesn't. And, um, and that was always so hard for me and is hard for me. (laughs) Um, she would ruin it all the time. And, um, and uh, and so much of it came with this really strict and hard focus on virginity and um, celibacy and marriage. And like that was just um, – I don't even think if I explain that to her now, she would understand how much of a focus that was. Like I don't think her and my dad get it, <laughs> um, but my brother and I have talked about it at length. and. Um, so, all of that to say, um, right before my NPE discovery, I had just finished a book proposal for a memoir that was about my relationship with my mother and my relationship with my daughter, and uh, and how and and sort of raising becoming a single mom to to a mother who was. Like that was like the number one thing in the whole wide world was to not have sex outside of marriage. And I had sex outside before marriage (laughs) and I got pregnant and I had a baby, like the shame and the tension and the, but that was the book proposal, but something was missing and I couldn't figure out what was missing. And I knew something was missing and I didn't know what it was. And I would you know, I've read it and I had coaches and I I had so many people read it and give feedback and I rewrote it and rewrote it. It took like two years to write. Um, and I sent it in to, to agents and editors who were all extremely interested and then all rejected it. And everybody said something was missing. And right, that all happened right before my DNA discovery. And then this guy called and everything made sense. It made everything make sense. Uh, in a way that um, I haven't even expressed to her. And it made um, it made me really, really, really angry because if she had just told me <laughs> what was going on, um, maybe I would have understood her differently and maybe she would have been released from some of the shame herself that she was struggling with. And... I I loved thinking of her as a young woman with a lover that wasn't my dad, my birth certificate dad. I loved the humanity of her having an experience that was <laughs> sexy in concept or intimate in concept or vulnerable or clandestine or fun or and you know any of that stuff. Um I loved the the humanity of it. Uh that's not the description she gives me of that experience. Um, so all of that to say, I was very angry. Um, 
and still can get very angry and and um and then also you know my desire for approval and care being the 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 number one value coming from my mom i have this um overwhelming drive to take care of her and my dad my birth certificate dad is very hard for me to see them uncomfortable so our conversations have been very limited about about this because they start to cry so hard so fast um and the blood drains from my dad's face and I just kind of can't do it. So they have said that I can talk to them about it and that, um, and I am working on letting them own their feelings and their experience and me owning mine. And, um, but all of this is stuff I haven't really expressed to them. Um, so I understand so much now because of this experience. Um, I have gone through periods of talking with them more. And then I have gone through times of taking a lot of space from my mom. Um, So, and they don't understand, I think, or believe, would believe if I said how much I think about it, despite having a podcast about it. Uh, They really, they would really like it to be a, to have been a uh, an event, a one-time incident where this information came out. But um I think I think the experience overall was was at the time when when uh, my mom when I was conceived, I think that experience overall was extremely traumatic for them. Um and then and they had didn't work on it at all. They didn't heal it at all. They didn't they didn't process it at all. Um, and then, and then me finding out the way that I did through, through my biological father contacting me was, was traumatic. Um, and, and then just shame. Number two, what's your greatest regret about the way you've handled finding out that you're an MPE? Eve? closely related um, to to my previous answer. I um, wish that I was more comfortable having those really, really uncomfortable conversations with my parents. I have a million questions I would like to ask that I still haven't asked. And I recognize that the more time that goes on, the more or differently painful that is in its own way for both of us. Um, so, and I wish that I was more open with how angry I was and how hurt I was and how confused. So overall communication with my parents on a much more authentic and raw level, um, I wish that I had been able to tap into that at a much earlier time, including now. (laughs) I still haven't. So, you know, like still haven't regret that I haven't would like to soon. That makes sense. And I also wish that I had um, flown out to meet my biological dad and uh, my siblings right away. But I didn't know he was going to die so quickly. 
how long between the discovery and the death was it? Like six weeks. Yeah. So, so it was a, it was talked to, it was a talked about goal. We thought maybe during that summer, we just hadn't, um, he, and he, he, we, it, it was, his death was sudden. It was like sudden and unexpected. So it wasn't, we didn't know we were, there was no timeline. Um, yeah. Aaron? I think for, for me, my biggest regret in all of this is that I did not kind of get in the car and just drive to my biological father's house who only lives about 45 minutes away um, because I allowed him to kind of string me along for like four and a half months. And when my behavior made him uncomfortable, like reaching out to my half-siblings without his, quote, permission, that ended any chance of relationship we ever had. And that's when he said, I have no use for you, and I probably never will. And I just would have loved for him to have the courage to say that to my face, because I am not convinced that he would have been able to say that directly to my face. I think there's um, a little bit of... Uh, of a keyboard warrior that's happening in this, you know, or was happening. It, it was four years ago at this point. And I just don't think that he would have had the nerve to say that to me, to my face. So I, I think that's really my biggest regret in all of this. And, and agreeing at the onset to keep the secret. You know, when, when I first said something to my mom and stepdad, um, they both said, well, you're not going to tell anyone. Right. And I was like, Oh no, of course not. I, I, I won't say anything to anyone. And I wasn't clearly, I wasn't very successful <laughs> with, with that. Um, <laughs> but you know, like I, we, I think, I think we've probably all said to people, it's okay. You're allowed to change your mind. You know, what, what you feel in, in that very beginning is likely not what you're going to feel two days, two weeks, two months, two years down the road. So I think those are probably my, my two biggest regrets. Aaron, weren't you on Good Morning America? <laughs> I was. <laughs> I love I did do that, that so much. What? I'm going to keep it secret. No, wait, I'm going to tell everybody in our country. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Gina? I would say I don't have a lot of regret with how I handled this. I would say that initially I was so nervous about my dad finding out, my birth certificate dad finding out. And so we just all hunkered down and nobody said much of anything. Yet here I am going out and doing a bunch of things. But he never has access to any of that. He doesn't do anything with 
websites and podcasts. He doesn't even know what that stuff is. He never asked what my dissertation was about, which I wouldn't have lied. Um, so he's just generally clueless. And I ended up having to tell him last fall, and I, I think I underestimated his ability to handle it. Um, but he does know now, so that's not a regret. The only thing that I can think of that I struggle with currently is that I don't have the guts to aggressively reach out to the siblings. I want them to reach out to me in the worst way. And I don't know why they don't have an interest. Um, It hurts my feelings so much when I think about it because I grew up as an only child. And um, I don't know anything about them. I don't even know. I know what one looks like because I stalked her on Facebook for a minute. Um, and my bio father just doesn't say a lot about it. And I'm even too afraid to ask questions to him about why, what's happening. You know, I think there's a sense of loyalty to their mother who's still living, although she plays no role in this story because he met my mom way before he met their mom. So there's no issue there. So I don't get that. I think that's the only thing. And I I just wish I was somebody who could just like force my way in, in that door. And I just can't do it. I, I think I can't take any more rejection. I feel like I worked my whole life to get past the rejection of, of being a toddler and being deserted by your mother. And I got myself together with all of that, that I can't walk through that door even at 53. I just can't do it right now. So I think that's probably my, my regret. It's not over, right? So I don't know if it's not like regret period. It's like regret dot, dot, dot. Because perhaps I'll, I'll get there one day. Yes. Uh, regrets. I don't have a ton of regrets, but there are some things I've been formulating lately since there was a recently a family funeral. And and so with, with my original family, like I, I have no contact with them, or very minimal, right? I'm currently the I'm in scapegoat status. I'm I'm the troublemaker right now. Okay. With my new family, the new biological paternal family, um, that's not happening. They're not interested. I sent some messages to cousins, siblings, um, and my biological father. I had a couple phone calls and emails with, and it it didn't go well, and it stopped many years ago, two to three. But the the people that I still want to have a relationship with are actually um, the cousins that I grew up with, the girl cousins around my age. Um. How do I put this? How have I been thinking about this? So there, we have a stoic Scandinavian family, right? Don't air your dirty laundry. Don't talk about it. But yet they'll, you hear about what's going on with this cousin got in trouble or that. Um, the, my aunts and cousins, I've lost them. And in my mind, I realize this probably isn't true and I have no evidence of this, but I'm like, oh, they're on my mom's side. They have my mom's narrative my mom is still going to holidays at their house. My mom is still going to the funerals, the weddings. I'm no longer included in that. But I feel if I just had the guts, because that's what Gina just was talking about, was having guts to reach out. If I had the guts just to reach out to my cousins, those that were in my peer group that were that I 
spend summers with up at the cabin, I feel like one, they either don't know the full story. They don't know everything that happened because I haven't really spoken with them plainly. I haven't spoken with them honestly because I don't want to disrupt their life. I don't want to gossip. Um, but I do still want to have a relationship with them, but I don't know where they stand. They probably don't know where I stand. Who knows? So that's kind of what I've been working through in my mind lately. And I have some regret over, you know, why don't I just reach out to this, these couple of these cousins, see if they want to have a phone call and see if somehow I could bring it up. I don't know. I don't know how I would go about that. Um, but that's just, I, I have a pull to kind of reach out to a few of my, yeah few of my extended family members and see if we could still be in each other's lives because I miss them. Lily, how about I reach out to yours and you reach out to mine and then we'll protect each other from whatever yes. negative response we may or may not get. Yes. Okay. Let's do it, please. <laughs> and Gina, you mentioned something that um, I feel like I, I literally was just going through after this most recent retreat that we had, um, you know, one of the things that we do at retreat is we bring in mediums at the end. And of course I had a reading and she told me that, um, I should reach out to my biological father because, um, his health is not good and he would be open to it. Um, but he's a very stubborn man and he's not you know, going to, to reach out to you. And I sat around the table with a couple of our good friends and I was explaining this and I said, you know what? I think, I think I'm just going to do it like right now, like right in this second, because well, A, I'm here with all of you. And if, you know, um, and B, so I don't lose my courage. Um, ultimately I lost my courage and I, and I attempted to send a text and and that's exactly what I said in the text is that, you know, you've been on my mind, um, but I can't handle another rejection. I just can't. I don't I don't have it in me to be rejected again. So so you're not alone in that. Mm. Just wanted to share that with you. Oh, thank you. Everybody, you know, I think I think there's that little piece in in all of us that that just knows like we've had enough and we can't handle anymore. I'm yepping and humming and mm-hmm-ing with you guys, so I keep muting myself. But I want you to know I'm supporting you verbally as well. I'm like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep, yep, but I keep muting myself. Number three, if you could go back in time to the moment you found out about being MPE. What would you tell yourself? I would say to myself, this is going to be an okay ride, girl. You're going to meet some amazing ass people for the rest of time that'll have your back. And honestly, that's exactly what it's been. This group right here is, is a part of that. And that has been the highlight. I mean, my bio father is pretty awesome. But you all are the highlight of what I've been through. I mean, Erin knows. I think I've cried on the phone with her a few times in gratitude for how she saved my ass a few times with stuff. But yeah, this is this is it. I would just tell that girl four years ago, 
buckle up. It'll be just fine. You're going to meet some amazing people to go along with. You're not alone. I would echo, um, you know, so much of what of what Gina said, and, and I think that this is probably going to be the moment where where I lose my composure um, in all of this because um, I was I was okay when I made my discovery because it had just happened to somebody else in the family, um, and so I really was okay. And and I remember my husband saying, "You're." you're really not acting the way you should be acting for somebody who has just learned this. And I, I said, well, you know, wh- where, where's the guidebook for that? Like, wh- how is someone supposed to react, you know, when they find this out? And I really was, I was okay. I was kind of going about my business. I, I got up, I went to work every day. Um, you know, I wasn't that person that was in immediate crisis. So I was like, oh, I'm just going to skate on through this and everything's going to be great. And about six weeks in, I hit my wall. Um, and I call it my three-day pity party. Like I literally came home from work and I got in bed and I didn't get out of bed the entire weekend. And And I remember the alarm going off Monday morning and saying, you are either going to get up and go to work or like this is going to define you. Like this this moment, this weekend is going to define you. Um, and I got up and I went to bed and I mean, I got up and I went to work. <laughs> I got out of bed and went to work. And um, I think that was probably also right around the time when I found this Facebook community support. Um, and I mean, we, you know, we all know what happened from there. I, I healed myself. I, I parented my, my inner child and I tried therapy and, I heard all of those wonderful things that you're not supposed to hear in therapy. And thank God, you know, people like Gina wrote their dissertations so that this is this is improving. Um, but therapy just didn't do it for me in this instance. Um, and I went to a meetup and I found my tribe and I just kept growing that tribe and growing that tribe and growing that tribe. So really when I when I look at my my NPE experience now, it it really, I hate to use the word blessing because that's not the right word, but I, I think um, you all will understand what I mean when I say like, it really was one of the greatest things that ever happened to me because I found the most amazing people and I'm not talking about people that are related to me <laughs> biologically. Um, so, Yeah. I could keep going on this. So I'm just going to, I'm going to close that chapter there. I would say to myself, this is not your fault. You are not to blame. That's what I needed to hear. This is not your fault. I would tell myself to have courage and that it was all going to be okay. And I, and at the same time, I think I knew that when it was happening. I guess, well, okay. So, so in the moment when it happened, my husband was the one who delivered the news to me. And he said, I think this is huge or something like that. Like this is, this is going to be a very big deal in your life. 
And at the time, my initial thought was, really? So maybe I would tell myself, yeah, it is. <laughs> He's right. It is going to be. This is going to this is going to shift everything about your life. Buckle up. Number four, I know you're all of service to the MPE community. And so the last question is, how has being of service helped you on your journey? That has helped me so much, Don, being of service. And and I think I originally probably heard it from Aaron or maybe one of Eve's presentations. Being of service is what brought me so much peace in this journey. I have the ability to listen, to listen to other people, even here. I'm getting so much out of listening to Gina and Aaron and Eve and and even you, Don, just like nodding along. I can identify with what you're saying. I'm. It makes me feel better. It makes my mind calm down. I get some peace in my heart when I can get out of my head and listen to another person. And spending a few hours or maybe a dozen hours a week working on something for our community, whether it's a podcast, whether it's helping someone on a, on a committee or an NPE event, writing something in the NPE world, that's service work, that's volunteer work. You know, we, we don't get paid for this. We're, but it's those hours that, honestly, I'd probably be spending in therapy, which I also do. <laughs> but I, I consider that time, that labor time, that free labor time at sometimes, you know, it's, it's, it's partially self-care. It's definitely self-care. Being of service in the community is just brought me so much peace. And I don't know if I'm explaining it right, but it's when you do any sort of volunteer work, you just, you leave fulfilled and I make connections with people. I, and I like being helpful. You know, I was raised that way. I like, I, I like providing something for the community. So that's how I consider my, my podcast is, is service work. And it's, I'm going to, whenever I get overwhelmed with my inbox or the correspondence or editing, as so many of you know, I'm just like, I will feel better after I do it though. I always do. I always leave feeling better after service work. Somebody asked me once, what do you do to take care of you? You know, you you spend so much time in the Facebook group or, or doing this or doing that. You know, what do you do to take care of you? And what do you do to heal? And yes, that's what I do. That's what I do to take care of me. And that's what I do to heal. I didn't really anticipate the service piece initially. Because I thought I was a unicorn, right? Because I was summer and I'm off school in the summer and this happened and I'm like, oh, well, this is just my fucked up mother, my family. <laughs> like, I thought it was just me. And then I was in the midst of working on my proposal for my dissertation. And as I was talking about this thing had just happened and I said something to my chair at the time and she said, wait, what? <laughs> and she had such a reaction that was positive and inquisitive and all the right appropriate academic things. And she said, this is what you have to do because I don't think this is out there. 
you have to do this. Like you have to study that. You have to look at this. This isn't, this is crazy. Like there's, you know, she's talking about donor conceived and adoptions and she's talking about all of that. And I'm thinking, is this new? And so then that starts that whole process right at the beginning where we're like, Google is my best friend. Let me look up all these things. And, you know, that's where the Facebook groups come in. And I'll just say this. There was another large group that I had been a part of initially who had planned to and agreed to um, help me with the population I needed to interview and then um, changed their mind right as I needed them to like go forward. And that's where Erin has saved me twice uh, because she had had her group and it was amazing. Actually, probably better interviews too, because that group was amazing. But um, and in that too, then I then I then I heard there was a podcast, and I was very new to like what is a podcast, and it was Lily, and I thought, why doesn't she tell us her last name? Like, I don't want her to hide this. And then you didn't eventually, and you were like, I'm Lily Wood, and I'm like, yes, she came out. It was so funny. But I've just watched other people also be of service, and that just made me so happy. And then. Eve reaches out from, you know, glamorous Los Angeles. And I'm like, oh, I'm fancy now, um, which was hysterical because she wanted to be in my um, research. I couldn't interview her, though, which was very sad. Um, but I think it was just an accident, honestly. But let's be fair. I'm a social worker. So it makes sense that, you know, this is kind of what I do for a living. And then this happened and then I studied it. And so then I learned all the stuff behind it and there wasn't anything really out there yet. It was all emerging. And so I, I don't know, I kind of stumbled into it and I'm so incredibly happy that I did. And then I had these great role models out there already doing a lot of the work and watching what they were doing. And I just thought, yes, I want to be a part of that. Yes, please. And so that's kind of what happened for me with this. And it is so healing. And I mean, even just today, it's so nice just to be here with everyone. I feel so like light now. It's going to start my week off really great. I um, I think that, yes, what everyone else has said, everyone has said it, everything that everyone has said resonates with me. And for me, the feeling of, in other areas of my life, the feeling of being relieved of shame and of finding community have been the two most powerful healing experiences of my life. And when I experience it, I want to share it with others. And every time I get to be of service, I get to experience that healing over again. Over and over and over again. Oh, and side note, Aaron, I was just at one of Aaron's retreats. That was that was insane amount of service. You do it so well. Mm-hmm. You were cooking, dancing, talking, mm-hmm. facilitating, organizing. Aaron, and you made me feel so good, just like hugs and the way you were talking. Man, the you're really good at what you do and you made me feel so good. I mean, all mm-hmm. all of you do with all the bits and pieces you guys do for the NPE community, but I just wanted to say I meant to meant to write you, Aaron, but thank you for putting on those retreats there. You're really good at it, by the way. That's your thing. It's gotta be exhausting though. Thank you. Thank you. I I, I think maybe now's a, a good time to admit that um when Don approached me with this idea, you know, and he's like, We're gonna have Lily and Gina and Eve and 
And, you know, that, that voice, that little girl, um, just kind of creeps in. Um, and, and she says like, do you really belong, you know, at the table with those women? Like, is that, is that really, um, a place where you should be sitting? Um, and at the same time, I recognize that I do great work, right? So it's, it's just this dichotomy of, um, am I good enough? Yes, you're good enough. Am I good enough? Yes, you're good enough. Um, so I'm super honored, really, to be sitting here among you all. Thanks for, for bringing us all together, Don. Kat feels the exact same to me. Mm-hmm. So same. Maybe if we could all get same. just get our little inner child girls together, they could sit at their own table <laughs> while the grown up, the grown ups, <laughs> spend time together. Oh, that's sweet. I love you guys. Listening to what everyone said today made me feel so good. Really did. So good. I was so impressed with everybody. I know. Mm-hmm. We're pretty freaking cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're kind of amazing. You know what? I'm going to take the freaking out. We're pretty fucking cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think that also just really is a testament to like when when we when we tell people like who are so new, so raw, mm-hmm. um, it gets better, you know, it gets mm-hmm. better. But and it does. It does. It changes. But at the same time, you know, I'm I'm four and a half years out and there are still moments that can literally bring me to my knees. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. does it get better? Absolutely. It gets better. But at the same time, like you don't just get over it. Yeah, somebody just recent, recently they, they were telling. Um, so it was a diff- it was like within a different context, but it, if they said it's a process, not an event, and I was like, yeah, that's that's those are the words that I have been grasping for all this time. When I keep telling people, don't ask me what happened; it's happening. It is still happening. Sitting here with you all, like, do you feel sometimes like we're supposed to be the ones that represent having it all together being several years out? And yet at the same time, I'm sitting here with you and I can get very raw very quickly. And I was holding back some emotion initially. Um, but that is that is what you're saying, Eve. It's, it's definitely a process because four years later, still feeling that, right? Four years later for me, and I feel like a literal four-year-old around my bio father because I don't know how to be because we don't know each other that well. And yet I'm 53 and I have all my shit together. And yet with him, I feel childlike sometimes. Like I don't, is he happy with this? Is this okay? What the hell does it matter? Like, I I don't know. I'm sorry for cursing so much, Don, but it's it's emphasis. (laughs) But honestly, though, it's, it's nice. It's nice even just doing this so that I feel like we all are still can get to like the core of what it was and feel it and also be strong and represent and do the work and show up. So that, that feels really nice. Lily posted a couple of months ago about um, the sisterhood of the nodding heads 
and, <laughs> and <laughs> you know, that, that has so many meanings. Mm-hmm. It, it really does because when we're together like this, it's, it's a sisterhood of nodding heads. When, when we're at retreat, it's a sisterhood of nodding heads. When, you know, just any time we're able to, to gather like this, that's, that's what I feel like. So, and I've become very comfortable with silence through all of this. Well, again, I'd like to thank Lily Wood, Eve Sturgis, Aaron Cosentino, and Gina Daniel. Thank you so much for coming in, and what an amazing show. Seriously, you guys opened up your heart to all of us, and I am really, really so grateful. All the music on today's episode was composed by the great Billy Sullivan. Check out his website, BillySullivanScore.com, for all your music needs. Please like and rate this podcast. It really helps a lot. And if you can, leave a review. I'd like to thank my wife, Lisa, who helps me in every way with the podcast, editing and writing and whatnot. She's amazing. Make sure you subscribe so you can hear the next episode of Missing Pieces, MPE Life. I'm your host, Don Anderson.